0: Last week, Nicole Vernkint, CEO of OMX, was back on the show from Season 1 to talk about her journey, thoughts on men and women in supply chain, and how she got over her fears. You can find that episode, the Woman in Supply Chain episode, at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season 2 dash episode 88. Like the products you manufacture, it is not unreasonable to expect the merchandise used to promote your brand to do so without posing risk to the recipients or the brand itself. Supply chain professionals can now play a leading role in protecting and growing their brand's reputation with the help of the Quality Certification Alliance. QCA is an independent, not for profit, 501 third party accrediting and certification body dedicated to ensuring accountability throughout the promotional product industry supply chain. Visit QCAlliance.org to learn more. Your brand is your organization's most valuable asset. Protect and grow it by aligning your values with QCA. Hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This week, I am in Chicago for FreightWaves Live, and it's my birthday. I will be moderating a fireside chat on live stream with the amazing Laura Ann from Reliance, and we're going to be talking all about diversity. Plus, I am getting an exclusive tour of the new DHL Innovation Center with Gina Chung this afternoon, and I can't wait to share with you some of the footage from that. So stay tuned and make sure to be subscribed to the SC Supply Chain TV on YouTube or following the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page so that you don't miss any of that when it's released. In today's episode, I am joined by the chief commercial and corporate corporate affairs officer of Ashcroft Terminal in British Columbia to share their incredible story of transitioning into the leading dry land port on the west coast as always before we do that let's get to the question of the week so the question of the week is what are your biggest challenges with returns Irina roska she says this is such a great question for me my experience with holiday sales e-commerce or retail distribution and sales the biggest challenge with returns is the lack of a system that helps companies return the product to sellable stock as soon as possible most of the time during the busy season, companies focus their staff on sales and order fulfillment. Not much attention is paid to returns. Daniel Stanton he says returns and reverse supply chains are getting to be a super hot topic. Yes, they are. Daniel, we talked about it a few episodes ago with Rob from Inmar. Easy returns is an incentive for customers, and there are lots of opportunities for most companies to improve efficiency and make it easier for customers but the reverse supply chain is also becoming a target for fraud if you want to hear more about those those uh, answers to the question please make sure that you go to listeners corner on letstalksupplychain.com. Lastly, Audrey Ross weighed in. She said the cost of the return, especially from overseas, there is the freight cost, the duties, the VAT. You can sometimes recoup the duty through a drawback program, but it's not guaranteed. So that's one of the biggest challenges that she's having. Plus, you have to remember to get that extra paperwork filled out and submitted. So who on your team is qualified to manage that? I hear you, Audrey. And thank you guys so much for your amazing responses. And uh, remember, everybody, you know, we ask the question of the week every single Wednesday morning on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you would like to engage with your peers and share your thoughts, make sure to be there. So back to today's episode, what is a dry land port anyway and how will it help you in your business? Well, Cleo Landucci is here to let us in on some of the industry secrets to help you do just that. But let's find out a little bit more about her first. First, Cleo is Chief Commercial and Corporate Affairs Officer at Ashcroft Terminal Limited, a member of the PSA Group of Companies. She took on the role in July 2018 when PSA purchased a major a majority stake in Ashcroft Terminal. Ms. Landucci is a member of the Board of Directors of Ashcroft Terminal Limited and since 2018 serves as Vice Chair of the Freight Management Association of Canada. She is actively involved in Transport Canada's collaborative forward planning initiatives, serving as co-chair of the Congested Areas Committee. She serves on several industry and association committees, including both the Trade and Transportation and Ottawa Liaison Committees at the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. The Environment and energy and climate policy committees at the business council of british columbia as well as the regional transportation and infrastructure committee at the greater vancouver board of trade from 2012 to 2016 miss landucci participated in the executive business programs at harvard business school so welcome to the show cleo well thanks for having us today sarah Absolutely. So I first heard about you when Audrey Ross, who's the co-host with me on the Trade Squad, she saw you speak at the JOC Canada Trade Conference this past spring, and she was really excited for everything that you had expressed in your time on stage. And so I love it when I see women supporting women in supply chain, and I am really excited to have you on the show to hear more about the exciting things that you're doing and what you have going on at Ashcroft terminal. So, let's get started and uh, why don't you tell us about the history of the company and the story behind the brand?
1: Yeah, sure. That's great and, and thanks for the introduction and, and pleased to be here today. Um, you know, the supply chain industry and the transportation industry is, uh, is a, a very interesting one with a, a tremendous amount of opportunity and so as we sort of start to our discussion around the history, that's really where, where it does begin. Um, I'll give. I'll back it up a bit and, and give you a, a sort of the the beginnings and where we are today. And um, so we have historically been a, a privately owned family business. Um, we saw an opportunity with a piece of property in 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 Ashcroft, the village of Ashcroft, which is about a three and a half hour drive from Vancouver. Uh, The property at the time had um, some rail going through it, but frankly, we weren't really sure um, what it had. And our background, my family's background, is in the resource sector, predominantly in the forestry sector. So certainly we were aware of the sensitivities of getting forestry product, along with mining and agriculture, to market And when we saw the opportunity to acquire this this piece of property, undeveloped, um, it piqued our interest. and, And my father went and took a look at it and quickly realized that it was a very, very unique property. It is the only location in the country that has both CP and CN main lines that run directly through a single private facility. So it's 320 acres of industrial land And every single rail car of every commodity going in and out of the lower mainland of Vancouver in all Marine ports has to pass through Ashcroft terminal. If it's going on rail East or westbound. So a vision occurred. um, My dad had the vision standing up on the Hill, looking down at a very undeveloped site with only 2000 feet of spur line off the CP main back in 1999. And, um, really saw what a full build out could look like. And, and it's really an example of a, of a, of a, a true entrepreneur having a vision and then, and then figuring out what the heck to do and how to get it there. So that's where we started. Uh, it's been an interesting journey the last 20 years uh, as, we've, as we've built a track um, ourselves and continued to add um, activity meaning that we've added customers to do a variety of different services. Um, Those services include rail car storage and transloading, so the handling of bulk. But the vision originally was always on the container business. So I'll just pause there if you've got any questions, but keen to also then continue on and fill you in on kind of the latest happenings over the last two years and where we are today. Um, So if you want me to keep going, Sarah, if you want me to pause there, happy to do that too.
0: Yeah, no, I just want to, you know, mention that I love hearing the history right because too many times we hear about the story of the brand but we don't really necessarily hear the history of how you started the vision that it was from the beginning and you know the steps that you sort of took from that initial point and jumped off into making it a successful business so why don't you tell us a little bit about the last 2 years where have you where have you taken it what does it look like for you and then we'll talk about your position in the company
1: sure that sounds good so, uh, a couple of years ago, um, uh, you know, I, I joined uh, from the financial sector and we could talk about that later um, uh, and joined my dad in 2004, which is when we closed on the property. Um, and we started to uh, look at what we can do on the site. Um, we built it up. And then about a few years ago, a couple of years ago, we sat back and and we said, okay, so we at that point had added, 32,000 feet of track with a direct connection on the CP mainline we had a mile long lead we were servicing about 20 customers um, 17 to 20 customers so this again is about two years ago and we sat back and and said you know how can we maximize the value because we're we're just the little family that could here and and um you know we put a lot of blood sweat and tears and had some success in in building out the business but We were only operating on 10% of our geographic footprint. So scratching the surface of what that original vision was and what the build-out plan was. So we decided to sit back and say, okay, who in this globe, who on the globe, who in the world are the um, leading uh, container and port operator uh, companies that would be able to maximize the value of this unique asset for themselves. Not obviously just for us, but for themselves. How could this um, key location with all the traffic going in and out of Vancouver into and out of Eastern and Western Canada's gateways um, benefit these global players that know a heck of a lot more about logistics and supply chain than we could dream to? And so we spent about a year researching and trying to look through the lens of these different companies. And frankly, you know, it was a quite an interesting journey. We we learned more about companies we had no idea existed. And these were huge players located from anywhere from the Middle East to the United States to Europe and all through Asia. And we spent a lot of time just researching and digging through uh, their supply chain, their growth, their CapEx, what how, trying to understand how they think and then we launched a, what we call a strategic process and we went out there in the world after we'd narrowed down who we thought would be able to gain the most value and bring this vision to life and have some alignment in what that approach would be and we set off and um, spent a considerable amount of time on airplanes and living out of suitcases as we went to every corner of the globe, meeting with and talking to folks about what we're up to at Ashcroft. Uh, So that was um, an incredible experience in and of itself. We we ended up in a a boardroom in in Singapore uh, and uh, ended up with uh, the world's largest container port operator, PSA International. They are a, a, a Singapore-based company. They um, are in 2018. PSA moved 81 million containers through over 50 terminals around the world. Uh, the company has 40,000 employees. So, very uh, <laughs> a bit of a David and Goliath situation is we were the. The family business with this interesting value proposition for shippers with a focus on the shipper and driving competition and benefits to the shippers' supply chain to drive their costs down and create long-term sustainable business, meeting with the world's largest container port operator Uh, and um, very excited that in the end of July of 2018, uh, PSA and our family walked up the aisle and said, I do. And we sold 60% of our business to PSA International, um, and formed, uh, the JV, which is Ashcroft Terminal Limited to continue to build out the vision of this Ashcroft Terminal, um, location.
0: So I just got goosebumps. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but I just got goosebumps because I think that your story is one of inspiration. Um, because you, you know, you put the customer first. You, d- you decided to go out there and see what other opportunities. So you made it happen for not only yourself but your family business, the company, and you were put into a situation where, like you said, David and Goliath, and you came out with, as a stronger. Stronger alliance that are that's going to be able to do that much more in supply chain and for the supply chain community. So, just wanted to throw that out there and say some congratulations because I think that your your story is very inspirational.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I, I you know, certainly, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear the feedback. We 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 keep our heads down and and do our job, and and really our job is to um, provide opportunities for natural resource producers to get their products to market in this country and to look at how we can benefit importers with um, some unique value proposition for them to use Ashcroft Terminal to their benefit and match those at one location. So we have a lot of passion around this business. Um, I think, like I said, there's been a few blood, sweat and tears over the last 20 years, but, but it is exciting. It's a very exciting time. And... I think what's 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 really exciting about it is is the fact that PSA has uh, locations as I as I kind of highlighted all over the globe, but um, they have never before us they had never made an investment in North America, so they hadn't done anything in the United States, and and this investment was the first foray into the North American region, and. That's, that's kind of a, a, a unique way to get in on the inland side because historically, PSA has always been a marine terminal operator. Uh, and then over the last few years, has started to expand to look at the inland links. And you can see that through the investments they made in China with a series of inland ports bringing products directly from the hinterland of China where it's produced to the marine gateways, and then out to markets like Canada for importers. They've also invested in in those markets and uh, took a percentage stake in the railroads in China so that they can really be involved in that supply chain and and shift the lens from what PSA calls their Horizon 1, which is the port business, the traditional port throughput business, to the Horizon 2 thinking, which is really the, the overall ecosystem of the supply chain. Matching that with the future, which is the the um, the parallel analysis of the digital understanding, um, as as David Yang, our group CEO based in Antwerp, you know, talks about the Internet of Logistics and the importance of understanding every skew that's um, moving through the supply chain and so the fact that PSA saw some value in coming into Hinterland Canada and what that does for exporters and importers is is really where I personally get excited um, because I have dreams of being able to see export product from British Columbia and Western Canada end up in an, in its location in hinterland China and that import product coming from hinterland China and ending up in a in a crossdock warehouse or DC facility at Ashcroft that's the vision and to have the company that is the biggest and best in the world to be able to bring that value proposition for shippers and importers uh in in our country is is what what gets us excited and um what gets us up and charged up in the mornings to come to work and and develop those programs out
0: so yeah i can that i think you know i can just hear the passion in you know just talking about that and wanting to be able to make supply chain and and change different aspects of supply chain to make it easier for you know, the community, shippers and inland ports and ports itself, that kind of thing. So can you, can you tell me a little bit about your, your role of the company? Um, your title is chief commercial and corporate affairs officer. What does that mean? And what exactly do you do?
1: I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, (laughs) uh, well, I guess I, my, my responsibility is to, is to build revenue. So, so that means getting to uncover every rock and look at what every issue that our shippers, um, exporters and importers are facing in their supply chain and how Ashcroft Terminal can uh, provide some solution and some uh, a, a resilient and long-term sustainable option for them to look at some, some changes to their supply chain that are um, uh, not traditional but sort of i think required under the tipping point that we're at in the challenges of getting products to market and the sensitivities we have amongst different commodities so my role is is to drive revenue and and i'm responsible for the corporate affairs and the messaging and 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 what have you um, you know i'm i'm also a board member uh, of the jv and and obviously represent the family as as on the ownership side of the 40% so i wear a few different hats um, I, I I guess the way I look at it is my, my job, but my life is to live and breathe this business. And it's a good thing I'm passionate about it because it's a lot of fun to do that.
0: Absolutely. And it sounds like, you know, just like me, supply chain is in your blood. You've been talking about it probably since you can remember.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome. So you talk about Ash, Ashcroft being an inland port. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you know, inland ports impact the overall supply chain and what is unique about Ashcroft Terminal? So
1: I think inland ports uh, have been uh, not well known in this part of the world over historically. And I think certainly we've seen more attention on inland ports and how to do various activities of preparing goods for export, along with looking at the import moves, given our vast country space and our vast continent, um, geography, it's important to look at where you can be efficient in the supply chain. Uh, you know, there's, there's certainly we look at inland ports, um, as a, uh, when we look at where the options are in Western Canada, we, we, we don't see that we have competition. And and again, that's not meant to be cocky. It's just, we have a geographic fluke in the way that the railroads were built along this part of the world. And when the CP came across uh, the country in 1885, when they came to the Thompson River that flowed down into the Fraser River, they have some topographic challenges with how they could get that rail line engineered down into Vancouver. And they chose a side of the river, I'll oversimplify, but they chose a side of the river that they thought was the easiest. I can't figure out how those guys back then figured out which side was easier because they both look pretty tough to me when I drive it. But in 1915, when the CN came across to come into the same location, they were then only given one option, and that was to go on the other side of the river uh, through the Thompson and Fraser River down into Vancouver and up from Vancouver into the rest of the continent. And so they were on the other side of the river except on the north side of where Ashcroft Terminal uh, exists. So we are buffered by the river. Uh, We are then buffered to the south by 350 acres of agricultural land that we also own, which reduces any potential for encroachment of future commercial, industrial or residential since we own the land. So we're in this little pocket. And so the CN had to build a bridge to come on to the same side as the CP and our site happens to be relatively flat. And so they had the space to be able to come across in 1915 on that 320 acres. So that's what makes us unique. It's a, it's, it's a geographic anomaly. It's, it it's a fluke. And we're grateful for those unstable sand hoodoos across the river because otherwise in 1915, that would never have happened. And it certainly wouldn't have then taken place anytime after that. So we are um, very different from any other inland port that I've, visited uh, in, in Canada and in the United States because of this. And it allows for a terrific opportunity to then sit back and be very strategic around how do you play into the railroad network? And that is absolutely fundamental to our business. We are a rail location, we are a rail port, we are a rail terminal. Product comes in by truck and out by rail, it comes in by rail and out by truck, it comes in by rail and out by rail. That is what we do. So we better know as much as we can about the railroads. And that's what we've sort of dedicated our lives to over the last 20 years is understanding how the railroads think and it changes with different leadership. But how do they think? How do they operate? Uh, what's required? How can we make the railroads m- the most efficient possible in this very congested and um, a, a critical gateway for trade in this country? And what can we do to be a value add in a location that makes it easy for them to come and service, to be able to service our customers in and out? And I think we, we, we've, we continue to add to our team because this all takes a, a great team of strategic thinkers and of executors and boy, am I sure lucky to have the people that I do working with us because they are um, some of the best in the business, that's for sure, and a lot of fun to be with. And together, we uh, put our heads together and try to continue to push the envelope. And I think we've seen some success. Today, we have 27 customers across all sectors of natural resource, and we're currently underway with a, a, a pretty significant rail and infrastructure expansion with a third funding support from transport canada and so certainly the importance of our location in the supply chain um it seems to be uh, proving itself out
0: absolutely and rail is a huge component to any supply chain and i think that you know we don't talk about it enough we we see it as very underestimated Um, you know, an underestimated part of the logistics of product moving, country to country, within country, um, overseas, all of that, and and I think that it's great that we're talking about it today because I think more and more people want to know about it. They want to know more about it, how it works, um, and how how you know the terminal flows into rail and vice versa, because key, key components right there. So, you know, you you spoke about your unique proposition, but I want to know, you know, what exactly, how do you exactly benefit shippers?
1: Well, uh, a couple ways. It depends on the shipper. But if we look at um, the fact that today we service uh, oil and gas, we service mining, we service forestry agriculture uh, and we're looking to launch in 2020 our container program which would let's talk about the container program as an example to your question Um, if you look at all of the mills that produce forestry products in british columbia and alberta uh, and that includes lumber osb uh, and pulp and you look at their supply chains of getting that product to market it's not easy not all of them have rail service at their facilities and the ones that do are usually transloading into uh, center beams or box cars and that product is then going to the coast. Um, Typically uh, if you're in the southern portion of the British Columbia and it's going down into the coast and it's being uh, containerized in the lower mainland of Vancouver. So we look to say well what can we do closer to source Can it be more cost effective and can it make more sense for those producers to truck their products to Ashcroft terminal, all the empty containers going into Vancouver pass right by our door, through our door every single day on the rail lines. Let's stop the empty containers. Let's put the forestry product in the empty container. Let's put that container back on as a laden can on the rail and hit the dock hot with full, Cans versus having to have long haul trucking from the mills and four to five truck trips of various providers in the lower mainland, driving around from a warehouse to a storage facility to getting an empty container from the port and then getting that product to market. If we can convert that truck traffic to rail traffic, it seems like there might be some efficiencies for the shipper. Certainly, there'll be efficiencies for and opportunities for the rail companies to um, uh, generate additional revenue. Um, We look at the shipping lines and being able to have key shipping lines that are really keen on working with us to facilitate this program because obviously those products are going on marine uh, uh, ships and going to various destinations. And we look at where the supply chain is going and the challenges in this part of the world. And with the increasing price of industrial land in the lower mainland of Vancouver at at least $2 million an acre unserviced, you've got a limited amount of industrial land as it is. So, um, you know, we continue to see the, the need to ensure the highest and best use. Um, there are some ways things are changing and Ashcroft Terminal has certainly been I think, seen as disruptive. It's not been our intention to be disruptive as far as, um, uh, except as in a positive light and being able to look at what's required for trade in this country, both in and out. I think one of the sensitivities we see, and it's not meant to be altruistic, but when we look at the support we've had, and we've had two rounds of funding support from Transport Canada in 2014, and again, the current project now, um, that's, critical, that's critically important to work together with our federal and provincial governments. We'd like to work more with our provincial government, but we do work directly with the federal government. Um, Because when we look at all of the initiatives that are being worked on by large corporations, as well as government on increasing trade opportunities, when you then examine the, you know, the World Bank produces a logistics performance index, and they look at countries that have um, where they where they stand on their logistics infrastructure to be able to facilitate various trade, and in two thousand and seven, Canada ranked ten on the World Bank's Logistics Performance Index. In two thousand and eighteen, Canada ranked twentieth, and from our perspective, that is Ooh. unacceptable. Unacceptable if we're going to go out and create trade deals with nations around the world to get our export product and bring in and entice our import product to come through this gateway, we better have supply chains that are moving on this index in the other direction. Absolutely. And we think we can play a part of that. We don't think we can provide all the solutions, although we're sure as heck gonna try, but we think we can help facilitate a piece of this by driving opportunities for shippers and importers to use either CN or CP, and to be able to look at creating efficiency with customized operations at our facility in Ashcroft.
0: Yeah yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, in supply chain Within companies, supply chain, you know, now having a seat at the board table, you know, supply chain being a huge proponent for companies now and and putting an emphasis on supply chain. But you just brought up a really good point. And I think that governments need to take a look at logistics and supply chain, um, you know, a little bit more closely. Right. I know that just recently I was in Panama and 30% of their GDP comes from supply chain. And so the government is hugely behind any initiative that happens with supply chain. And so, you know, I think that we all need to get behind you and, you know, ask our governments to provide a lot more support to logistics in supply chain, whether we're in Canada, whether we're in the US, whether we're global. And I think the other really great point that you brought up was, you know, you're not only creating efficiency solutions, you're also creating, you know, new revenue streams for your customers, which is not really something that very many Companies in supply chain or logistics itself really focus on. And uh, I think that's great. And then you also mentioned, you know, moving goods by rail versus truck and I think that there's an environmental impact on that and so I want to talk to you about that because when I did the research for this episode your website mentions that you that there are some environmental benefits to working with Ashcroft Terminal Um, so do you want to elaborate on that let's talk about that sustainability that environmental impact um, you know that that can really be brought forth with some of these conversations.
1: Yeah, and that's a, those are great questions and very very important. So when we talk about the environment, in 2016, the Railway Association of Canada, which is a, a very important association for for um, rail service providers and for opportunities to look at um, how to how to work together and and how our flows work, they produced a report called How Railways Can Be Part of Canada's Climate Change Solution. And this report touches on the fact that 30% of Canada's total GHG emissions uh, uh, are, are come from the transportation sector. That's 30%. So trucks are responsible for about 7% of that, and rail is responsible for 1%. If you can... Understand your supply chain, and you can understand how and why our natural resource products are in trucks. What what products exactly are in trucks? How long are those flows? How much does that cost? But also, how much fuel is being used? If we look at at opportunities to convert truck traffic to freight traffic to tra- rail traffic, three hundred trucks are removed from the road and equate to one train so it seems to us that that would be in is a priority for key players in the industry now that's a real alignment opportunity for us with the railroads because they have a certain way that they need to run their business and we fully understand and respect that but we think that there's a great opportunity to do even more and and that would be more for when we look at our environmental initiatives by both federal and provincial governments, and we look at the social component and the drive, um, you know, certainly we're seeing those those the importance of climate change at the forefront of our children's minds, and being highlighted through various protests like the one last week in Vancouver. It's never been more important to drive disruption through uh, environmental benefit than it is now. And so, not only is it unacceptable for us to be falling on the World Bank's Logistics Performance Index, but we think it's critical that we look at every single thing we can do as Canadian producers, exporters, and importers, and create supply chain efficiency that benefits our environments. And that might not be a comfortable discussion for every player, But those are the kinds of discussions that absolutely need to take place, are taking place in some boardrooms, and and will be at the forefront of what we expect to be um, decision-making over the next 1 to 10 to 20 years. And it does have to start now. It has to be bold. And if it's disruptive, so be it. But we do need to start converting more truck traffic to rail traffic. We need to do that for the cost efficiency for our shippers. We need to do it for the environment. And we need to do it for... our regions to be as efficient as possible to ensure that we are seen as a leader in the globe for getting product to market.
0: I would definitely agree with that. And not only those key points, but also for future generations looking to get into supply chain. Because those next generations that are behind us, those are the things that they are looking for. Those are the companies that they wanna work for. Those are the impacts that they want to be able to make. Um, And know that they're making a difference, not only in the supply chain community, but in the global community as a whole. And um, I think that you guys are, are definitely leaders in this space. And um, I would agree with you. I think that we need to look for alternatives for truck, not only for the environmental, but also for the cost. And also because we're running into, you know, the driver shortage and there's a lot of impacts that are happening because of those shortages and, um, and just, again, to, to really push the needle on the environmental change. So let's talk about the future. I want to know, you know, what's next for Ashcroft Terminal?
1: Well, it's, uh, it's a fun time. Um, we, you know, we launched our, our build, our expansion project, which will which will add uh, about 40,000 feet of track. Um, so we are adding a direct connection into the CN mainline in 2020. We have just completed an additional 14,000 feet of track off our existing CP infrastructure, which brings us up to a total of 46,000 feet which is as of October 1st is uh, online and sold out. Uh, We will build an export facility to facilitate the movement of forestry products, potentially some agriculture and start to dabble on the import side for um, transloading and cross docking from 40 to 53 foot. We are looking at a large cross dock facility for um, expanding on the import program for 2021 and beyond. Um, we have a lot going on. We have a lot of activity on, the, on at the terminal right now. Uh, we've um, increased our, our team. We've added 20 people to our team over the last year since we um, said I do with our partners in PSA. Uh, so we've been expanding predominantly in Ashcroft. Um, we we are going to continue to build and we're going to continue to build out this facility. And a fully built out facility will come over time, over the, you know, the coming 3 to 5 to 10 years beyond just the scope of this project. And a fully built out Ashcroft terminal will include upwards of 40 kilometres of internal track with direct connection to both CP and CN main lines. And that's 40 kilometres on on a private facility um, with a 25,000 foot loop track for direct hook-and-haul and in order to create the most efficient operation for both CP and CN is our absolute focus is to make them as efficient as possible. Now that goes in stages and in steps but uh, we we're, we we're, we couldn't be more thrilled um, with the structure that we have in place with our global partners to be able to add that reach for our, for our shippers, our importers, and our exporters and to be able to now realize the vision and see it come to fruition And so what's next for Ashcroft is a lot. Uh, We're expanding off of our existing 10% of our geographic footprint we operate on today. And we'll just continue to plug away aggressively to expand out and and make sure we're utilizing the entire 100% of our 320 acres of industrial land.
0: I love it. And I cannot wait to see what else you have up your sleeve. So in your upcoming discussions about supply chain strategy and sustainability, consider your options of rail versus truck to reduce carbon emissions and bring a new competitive advantage to your brand. If you would like more information about Clio, Ashcroft, and this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 89 or visit their website at ashcroftterminal.com. Dot com. That's AshcroftTerminal.com. Thank you to the team at Ashcroft and to Cleo for making this happen and for joining me to share some important supply chain options for your organizations to consider. Thank you, Cleo. Thank you, Sarah. If you like this episode, be sure to check out any number of my past episodes with guests like eBay, Chain.io, Containers, RPA Labs, Mercado Labs, and so many more at letstalksupplychain.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Next week, Irina Roska is my guest host for the week and is taking talking to Graham Robbins, our resident industry expert about all things supply chain. Make sure you subscribe as you won't want to miss out on that episode. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as subscribe to the YouTube channel, the SC Supply Chain TV. Plus, go to ships.com, visit, and sign up because we are almost in full beta. And if you are a forwarder or a shipper that wants to streamline the pricing of your air freight and ocean freight shipments, gain access to more choice worldwide, and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks, then you won't want to miss out on our platform. Again, that's shipz.com. Next, we have some really fun uh, t-shirts, mugs, different accessories for you as a supply chain professional or even the supply chain professional in your life. You're going to love some of the stuff that we have. It's over at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. We also have the supply chain dictionary, which is 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions. Lastly, go and rate and review the show over on iTunes and your review might be um, featured in an upcoming episode. Thank you so much for all your love and support. And remember everybody, ship happens.